to start off by thanking Indeed for supporting the Peter Schiff Show podcast. This year has challenged businesses across the globe to be the most efficient they can possibly be, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help you finish 2020 strong. Indeed is the number one job site in the world. Get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com Peter. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. The indexes surrendered some of yesterday's strong gains today, with the exception of the Russell 2000, which continues its run of new highs. It was up about a third of a percent today, closing at a new all-time record high. The catalyst that drove yesterday's rally was the news that Moderna now also has a COVID vaccine that looks very promising. Its efficacy, I think, is 95%, which tops Pfizer's 90%. So now we have two potential COVID vaccines under development that look very promising. And that sparked an immediate rally in the markets pre-open yesterday. The news came out before the open, similar to what happened with the Pfizer announcement, only this time it wasn't as big a positive move up in the market or as big a drop in gold. Gold did drop. It ended up down about 20 bucks initially as soon as the news came out, and then it regained some of those losses, but still finished down on the day. But remember, we were down better than 50 bucks on the Pfizer announcement. And the Dow gained better than 1,000 points, maybe something like 1,400, 1,500. Yesterday's gain, not nearly as impressive, only 400 or so points on the Dow. But first of all, why is the market even rallying on a COVID vaccine? I mean, I know it's good news, right? If we get a COVID vaccine, then more people can go back to work. More people will feel comfortable traveling and doing all sorts of things that they used to do pre-COVID that they're no longer doing. So all of that is good news, except none of the bad news was ever priced into the stock market. The stock market is not way down because of COVID. I mean, it's at record highs. So if the stock market didn't go down at all because of the COVID pandemic, why should it rally if the COVID pandemic is going to come to an end? And of course, we don't even know for sure And we don't know when these vaccines are going to be available and how well they're actually going to work. I mean, is it going to be one shot and you're, you know, you're immune for life or is it going to be like the flu? Do you have to get the vaccine every single year? What if the virus uh, mutates? I mean, is the vaccine going to work? Do they have to come up with a new one? There's a lot of unknowns with respect to uh, these vaccines, but I could see if the stock market was way down. If the market had really gotten killed as a result of COVID, and now all of a sudden there's some light at the end of the tunnel, a rally would make sense. But the market never got killed at all. Thanks to the Federal Reserve, thanks to all the stimulus, the market is higher post-COVID than it was pre-COVID. So why should any positive news be positive for stocks when the negative news wasn't negative for stocks? Now, the only thing that really makes sense to me is that traders recognize that it doesn't even matter what happens with COVID, that the stimulus, that is the reason that the market rallied in the face of COVID when it should have sold off because of the effects on the economy and on corporate earnings, 
But because of all the cheap money, the artificially low interest rates, the money printing, that's what caused the market to go up. I think traders recognize that even if COVID goes away, that that cheap money is here to stay. Because if traders believed that the end of COVID also meant the end of 0% interest rates and quantitative easing, stocks would not be rallying on a COVID vaccine. They would be getting killed on a COVID vaccine because the vaccine would also kill all the stimulus. After all, what is the validity now? How does the Federal Reserve justify keeping uh, the monetary pedal to the metal when we have a vaccine? And in fact, I think uh, Fed Chairman Powell spoke again today and he went out and said that, you know, it would be premature if we tried to shrink the balance sheet or end the stimulus that we have to wait and see. The reason he's saying this is because he knows that there's no turning back. And I think the markets know that we've sold our monetary soul to the devil and there's there's no getting out of this deal. That is the predicament because of the sheer volume of the money printing and the QE and the 0% rates, that monetary policy in the face of COVID was so extreme and so reckless. The economy has now been given such a massive jolt of this uh, monetary heroin that there's no dialing back the dosage, right? We have so much debt now. The markets are now such a massive bubble that the Fed wouldn't dare risk pricking it. It doesn't matter that Biden is president because Biden is going to want the stock market to be just as strong as Trump did. Because after all, he's going to now claim credit for the strong economy based on the stock market. That's really the only thing the presidents can point to because the only place that monetary policy is effective is in inflating asset bubbles. So that's what all the presidents want to now use as the bellwether of the efficacy of their own policy is to look at the stock markets. They can't look at the real economy, so they want to pretend that the stock market is somehow a reflection of the real economy when it's not. It's a reflection of the bad monetary policy that is inflating that bubble. So I think the stock market investors realize that it doesn't matter. Even if the COVID vaccines work, 0% interest rates are here to stay. QE is going to continue. So I think as far as the market is concerned, maybe getting rid of COVID is the best of both worlds because corporate earnings will be restored somewhat because a lot of their customers will now you know, come out of their houses and start spending money again. And so businesses are going to be able to transact. And so earnings will recover to an extent, but the Fed is not going to take away the punch bowl. If the Fed was going to respond to the startup of the economy by winding down its, its stimulus, if the Fed was going to start raising interest rates and shrinking its balance sheet, that would override the growth of earnings that would result from the economy starting up again because of the COVID vaccine. So what the markets now believe they're going to get is they're going to have their cake and eat it too. The economy is going to come back because of the vaccine, but because the bubble is now so big and the Fed created such a massive addiction that we're going to continue to get COVID monetary policy even after COVID is no longer an issue. So we're going to have the economy growing, but we're going to continue to have uh, this easy money policy, which means prices have got to surge. I mean, what would be the rational argument in any school of economic thought? I mean, even the Keynesians are going to have to argue that if we have economic growth, 
right? And then we end up getting falling unemployment and maybe we won't get that. But if we have a stronger economy and the Fed keeps printing money anyway, how are prices going to not respond by going up? They are going to go up. Inflation is the elephant in the living room that nobody wants to acknowledge that they see, but it's there. It's staring us in the face and it's going to become more and more obvious uh, as 2021 uh, really begins to, uh, to play out. But the other thing that traders have to figure out is that a COVID vaccine is not bearish for gold. I mean, that is still the mindset because gold went up as a result of COVID, but then so did the stock market. Everything has gone up, but the perception is, well, if gold benefited from COVID, then gold's going to go down when we have a COVID vaccine because that's going to cure COVID. And so if COVID is no longer a threat, well, then why do we need to buy gold? Well, people weren't buying gold because of COVID. They were buying gold because of the monetary and fiscal policy that was a response to COVID. Well, since those policies are not going to go away, in fact, they're going to get worse. We're going to have even more monetary and fiscal stimulus, even if these vaccines work, than we had before. So there is no reason to be selling gold based on a COVID vaccine. You should be buying gold based on the reality that it doesn't matter what happens to COVID. We're going to keep printing money and we're going to keep interest rates artificially low. And all of that is going to be an even bigger problem in a Biden administration than it was in a Trump administration. So all the fundamentals are lined up behind gold, uh, yet the market still doesn't reflect this reality. You know, as a matter of fact, we just found out that Berkshire Hathaway in their most recent filing actually cut its position in Barrick Gold by about 42%. And if you remember when uh, Berkshire Hathaway initially disclosed its holding in Barrick, I thought that by the time they reported again, they would actually have a larger stake. I thought that maybe Warren Buffett and the guys at Berkshire would have been smart enough to know they had a window of opportunity to buy more gold stocks before uh, the rest of Wall Street realized what they were doing and that we would find out that they had bigger stakes in Barrick or maybe even bought into some other gold mining companies by the time they filed again. And I was not only wrong on that one, uh, but Buffett actually trimmed the position. So he has less uh, Barrick now than he had then. Now, the question is why? Because Berkshire Hathaway is not known for short-term trading. I mean, what would be the point of buying a position in Barrick Gold and then a few months later selling out a 42% of it? And for all I know, they've sold the rest of it, right? We don't really know what happens since the last filing. Maybe Buffett is completely out of Barrick. So what would be the point of taking a position and then immediately getting out of position? I mean, certainly nothing has changed. I mean, anything fundamentally that would have caused the team at Berkshire Hathaway to want to buy Barrick Gold, right? Nothing that has happened since they bought it would have changed their fundamental outlook. In fact, if you were smart enough to buy it six months ago, you're smart enough to add to the position now. It makes no sense that they would be selling. Now, maybe the skeptic in me could say, is it possible that Buffett uh, tried to kind of game his popularity 
that he bought some barrack gold knowing that if he disclosed his ownership that that would cause other people to want to buy gold stocks including barrack and he could just sell into that so kind of a quiet pump and dump right that was his plan the whole time he bought barrack gold knowing that the minute his ownership position became public and other investors tried to buy he was going to sell into that now that is nothing uh, that I think Buffett had done in the past. I don't think there's a history of those type of uh, pump and dumps, you know, kind of, you know, quiet pump and dump, just, you know, because I think uh, Berkshire knows that there are a lot of people that pay attention to what they're doing. And when they see that Buffett does something, they want to copy him because after all, he's the oracle. He's the smartest of the smart, right? When it comes to uh, stock buying. And so if Buffett is buying something, other people want to buy it too. I don't think Berkshire has a history of trying to play off of that uh, by buying stuff with the intention of selling it once the public realizes that they bought it. I mean, but that is a possibility that he did that. But I'm going to give Buffett the benefit of the doubt that that's not what he did. What I think is more likely is that when the ownership of Barrick Gold was disclosed, I think there was some embarrassment on the part of Buffett. Because after all, Warren Buffett had been very negative on gold in the past. And given the statements that he had made about gold in the past, why is he buying a gold stock now? And also, Buffett wants to be perceived as never betting against America. Right? He always says, don't bet against America. He is a cheerleader uh, for the stock market and for the U.S. economy. I don't even think it matters who's in the White House. He is always bullish and always optimistic. Well, buying a gold stock flies in the face of that optimism. I mean, even if he's just hedging his bets a little bit. Hey, I'm still optimistic, but I'm getting a little worried. I'm buying some insurance and I'm buying a gold stock. Uh, But I think Buffett didn't want to defend that. In fact, I never saw Warren Buffett sit down for one interview where he discussed the ownership position in, in Barrick Gold or why he owned it. Right. So it, it never even came up. Maybe he just didn't want to touch that topic. And maybe uh, when the news came out, it became such a problem that that's why they decided to sell it. Now, you would think that Buffett would have realized before when he started buying it that the minute the ownership was disclosed that it would be problematic uh, given statements that he's made in the past. But maybe he underestimated uh, how big a problem it would be. Because it doesn't really make any sense to have already sold. I mean, yes, chances are he made a profit, right? Chances are he made a profit on Barrick. He bought it. It went up a little bit and he sold it. But that's not the kind of investor Buffett is. He's not a trader. He doesn't hold things for a few months. I mean, he's stated that, you know, he likes to hold things forever. He likes to never sell. He likes to, you you know, own his positions, think of them as owning a business and be there for a long time. It takes a lot. A lot of stuff has to change. I mean, look what had to happen before Buffett decided to sell the airlines. I mean, the whole business fell apart before he gave up on those. He's also still selling the banks. He, you know, he continued to reduce his position, but he was in those banks for a while, and now he realizes he made a mistake. He didn't make a mistake with Barrick, and clearly, the position had gone in his favor. He had barely held on to it. I would imagine, too, that the analysts didn't just buy it on a lark. They did some research, right, to pick that particular stock. There was some discussion before they bought it. So what happened to all that? None of that mattered. 
So the only thing, again, that makes sense is it was the publicity. And so unfortunately, it's the Berkshire investors who are going to have to suffer because Warren Buffett wants to maintain the image that he's so optimistic and so bullish that he's already cashed out of probably the best position that he had in the portfolio uh, for Berkshire and a very important hedge that he needs to have. No, I was listening to a YouTube video. Uh, it was an interview of Ray Dalio of Bridgewater. And it was an excellent, excellent discussion. The only thing that I disagreed with Ray Dalio on was his uh, belief that the profit motive, which is inherent in capitalism, is somehow a bad thing in so much as you know, some people are left behind. That he said that you know companies looking to maximize their profits, it's a good move if they can find maybe a labor-saving device, a machine they can automate something, and then they can reduce their production costs and therefore have lower prices to consumers. But in the process, people lose their jobs, and that is a problem. See, that's not a problem. It's never been a problem in the past. I mean, yes, is it a short-term problem for the guy who loses his job? Sure, that's life. But he will be able to find another job and a better job. That's what's always happened. Meanwhile, all workers benefit from more efficient production that lowers costs and that allows living standards to rise. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. I think the reason that Dalio is saying this is because I think he wants people to like him. I mean, he's a very rich guy, and I think he wants to you know, show that he cares. And so he's trying to lay some kind of foundation for some government safety nets to take care of the people that capitalism leaves behind. But capitalism doesn't leave anybody behind. Capitalism benefits the poor and the middle class proportionally more than it benefits the rich. And of course, the rich put in a lot to capitalism in order to take out, but what they put in benefits uh, the vast majority of, of the public. But other than that, other than that statement, and of course, the reason that so many people are uh, suffering in capitalism is because we don't have capitalism. Right? He was correct to point out that one of the reasons for the, the disparity between the rich and the poor is the Federal Reserve 
and the quantitative easing and the artificially low interest rates. But none of that is a function of capitalism. That is all a function of socialism, of government, of central planning and central banking. And then you have all sorts of other laws and regulations that are keeping people in poverty, that are preventing the free market from finding better jobs for those who are displaced as businesses innovate and try to find ways to uh, restrict their utilization of labor. But when one business is able to economize, it frees up that labor to now be used someplace else. And in a vibrant economy, these transitions take place very quickly. It's just government red tape that bogs down the process. And so you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to capitalism and the people that are left behind. You want to realize why they're being left behind. And it's not because of capitalism. It's because government doesn't allow capitalism to function. But everything else that Dalio said in that interview, I 100% agree with, you know, including his statements that cash is not a safe investment, but extremely risky. Couldn't agree more. And the reason he thinks it's so risky is because of all the money that we're printing. It's the quantitative easing. He is concerned about the dollar's loss of purchasing power in the future. And it is going to lose a dramatic amount of purchasing power. In fact, even some of the major banks now are out there predicting 20, 30% declines in the dollar next year. I mean, that is a huge percentage for a major currency to lose, let alone the world's reserve currency in a single year. And you know, those forecasts could end up being too conservative. The dollar could lose a lot more than that. And in fact, it's going to continue to lose value in 2022, in 2023. And so what Dalio is advising is that people invest outside the United States. He's saying that you have to diversify in your countries, you have to diversify in your markets, you have to diversify in your currencies. He wants inflation hedges, he wants gold. Uh, He basically is advocating Euro-Pacific Capital's entire investment strategy. I mean, that's what he's recommending for people. And we're on the same page there. And I know Dalio's performance uh, hasn't been that good this year, uh, but I think longer term, if Dalio is managing client money based on the observations that I heard him making in that uh, in that interview, then his clients are going to do just fine, right? And so are mine, right? I, we're doing the same thing. In fact, we've had a lot more success this year than Dalio has. Maybe he wasn't positioned quite as well as we were when the year began. Uh, But based on what he's saying, I'm sure he is positioning himself for the same type of monetary outcome that we're positioning ourselves for. And so I think what he's saying carries a lot more weight than what Buffett is saying, because he's at least acknowledging the problems that Buffett is trying to deny exist. Berkshire Hathaway, at least initially, by selling banks and buying gold stocks, reading between the lines, that would tell you that, yes, maybe they see the problems, but they're afraid to publicly admit it. Dalio is not. Dalio is speaking uh, from the heart and telling people what he actually thinks. The only problem is he's trying to cushion (laughs) the the blow by advocating some type of government uh, programs or some type of safety net to help out the people that capitalism leaves behind without really having the guts to defend capitalism fully 
and to advocate for less government, not more, and to put the blame for those problems that he sees for maybe those that are left behind by putting that blame on government, not just Congress with their policies, but also the Federal Reserve with its monetary policy. As I've been saying, we're going to have some very strict rules that are likely to be implemented during the Biden administration that are going to make it particularly difficult for employers. And so there's going to be all sorts of rules that are going to greatly increase the likelihood that you will be sued. If you are running a small business, the odds of you being sued by one of your employees, even the employees you don't fire, are going to go up dramatically. So what you've got to do more than ever is make sure that if you hire somebody, that you hire the right person. You have to be more particular than ever to mitigate the risk of being sued. So to the extent that you hire people, and I know a lot of businesses are going to limit the number of people they hire to limit their exposure to lawsuits. The ones that you do hire, you better make damn sure you've got the right person. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site. According to Comscore, Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of qualified candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visit Indeed each month, according to Comscore. Total visits. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide are already hiring using Indeed. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash Peter. This is their best offer available anywhere. So go right now to Indeed.com slash Peter. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. And while I'm talking about the stock market too, a couple of of other stocks in the news that I think are worth discussing. One is Casper. You know, this is this company that sells mattresses on the internet. Came public earlier this year. I think the IPO was at 12 bucks. And it got as high as 1585, which I think was pretty close to when it did go public. It closed today at $6.36. So about half the IPO price, less than half of its 52-week high, got killed yesterday on uh, on their earnings numbers. So even though people are staying at home, I guess they're not staying at home and buying Casper mattresses. But again, all of these companies are crazy, yet they go public anyway. In fact, Airbnb just filed for its IPO. Right? So they're about to go public. I'm not exactly sure the date of the IPO, but couldn't probably think of a company that is in worse shape to go public than Airbnb. Remember, these guys make money when you have a lot of tourism, when people are traveling and then they're checking in uh, to people's homes through the Airbnb program. Well, we know uh, travel has collapsed. 
people are not taking vacations, and so they're not staying in Airbnbs, and so the revenue is collapsing. Meanwhile, Airbnb disclosed that it still has never made a profit. Since it started, they have not been able to make a profit in a single year. In fact, the loss this year, just ending in September, they've lost $969.9 million in nine months, right? So annualize that out. They're going to lose about a billion dollars in this year, yet they're going public. I mean, why would you want to buy into a business that's losing a billion dollars a year? I mean, what do you pay to buy a business with those kind of losses? And it's not like, you know, there's some light at the end of this tunnel. There's nothing but tunnel at the end of this tunnel. In fact, it's not only the COVID problem, but there's a lot of regulatory scrutiny now on Airbnb, you know, because they compete with the hotels, just like, you know, Uber and Lyft compete uh, with the taxi cabs. Uh, there's a lot of regulatory risk in their entire business model. And of course, there's, there's a lot of risk of, of lawsuits in general uh, in this business model. Look, this is a very, very risky business. It should at least be making a profit. I mean, if you're going to own a business that's got as many flies as this one, as many potential problems, you better be making good money. If they're not making money now, how are they going to make money later when a lot of these problems uh, could rise to the surface to substantially increase their cost of operating? So look, if this IPO gets off the ground, I mean, of course, anything could happen in this crazy environment. But I think this is another example of a company that should not be going public and would not be going public, but for the Fed. If it wasn't for this artificially low interest rates, none of this would be possible. And finally, on bubble stocks, Tesla today finally getting added to the S&P 500. You know, the last time S&P considered adding Tesla, they ended up not doing it. And I think the stock sold off at that point. But this time it rallied. It was up almost 8% on the day. It was higher at one point. Tesla stock at 441. Uh, I think when it enters the S&P, it will be one of the top 10 uh, companies by market cap in the S&P 500. So one of the biggest companies there. Now, how long it remains in the top 10 is a good question. I think eventually the air is going to come out of the Tesla bubble too. But again, when you have this kind of reckless monetary policy and you have this much bubble blowing, there's no way to know how high any bubble can go before it pops. In fact, speaking of bubbles, I might as well discuss the mother of all bubbles, and that is Bitcoin. I mean, Bitcoin today, I think, almost hit 18,000. I think we got above 17,800. Oh, by the way, I meant to mention on the Dow, we almost, but didn't quite get up to 30,000. So that 30,000 milestone is still a bit elusive. I think we were within 50 points of getting to Dow 30,000. But um, Bitcoin almost got to 18,000. Maybe it'll be up there by the time I finish this podcast. I mean, it's just going straight up right now. It's very reminiscent of the uh, mania that took place three years ago or almost three years ago when uh, Bitcoin went up to 20,000 for the first time which was at the end of 2017, and then it revisited 3,000, or not quite, but it almost got to 3,000. But if you remember all the enthusiasm that existed back then, I think we have a similar amount of enthusiasm now, at least when it comes to the long-term hodlers. Now, if you go look at Google Trends and you look at 
uh, Bitcoin as a search term or buy Bitcoin or how to buy Bitcoin, you really don't see any movement. I mean, it's nothing like what was happening three years ago when people all around the world were trying to learn about Bitcoin. You don't have a big rush of new people uh, searching for Bitcoin. In fact, I keep hearing all these so-called experts talking about all this big money that's coming into Bitcoin. I just don't think that's happening. I don't know what is driving this rally. I mean, maybe you have a bunch of whales that are buying and selling Bitcoin from one another. I have no idea how much new money is actually coming into this market or if it's just the same money uh, going back and forth. I mean, maybe there are some suckers that are being drawn in uh, by the FOMO around this rally and all the talk that, you know, 20,000, 100,000, a million, all that nonsense. I know CNBC is talking about it nonstop again. I mean, they've never seen a bubble uh, that they didn't tout. I think, uh, you know, eventually this is going to be their biggest mistake on CNBC. I mean, they were really uh, cheerleaders during the dot-com bubble of the 1990s. But I think they're an even bigger cheerleader, irresponsible cheerleader of the Bitcoin bubble. I mean, I wasn't around, you know, in the 17th century uh, in Holland to witness firsthand the uh, Dutch tulip bubble. Uh, But I got to believe that what's happening with Bitcoin now is very similar. In fact, I think it's even more irrational. I mean, I think I can make a more compelling case for a tulip than I can for Bitcoin. Yet you have all these people, some of them relatively smart people, some of them maybe not so smart, Uh, but are falling for this. In fact, one of the things I keep reading now are all these articles about how this recent rally in Bitcoin relative to the price of gold just proves that Bitcoin is a superior store of value to gold, right? Because Bitcoin has gone way up and gold's going sideways. Bitcoin is not a store of value at all. So it can't be a superior store of value when it doesn't have any value to store, right? You can't be a store of value unless there's value to store. What is the value of gold? It's all the uses that gold has as a metal, as a commodity. It's those uses that you store. It's that utility that you store when you hold on to your gold for future use. What utility are you storing when you hold on to Bitcoin? Nothing. What future use Is there for Bitcoin when there's no current use for Bitcoin? Yes, I know you can give it to somebody else, but that doesn't count as a use. So there's no value, so it can't be of a superior store of value. The fact that Bitcoin is going up is irrelevant. Don't compare it to gold. It's got nothing in common to gold. Look, Tesla's going up. Does that mean Tesla's a better store of value than gold? No, Tesla and gold have nothing in common and neither do Bitcoin and gold. Of course, all the Bitcoin proponents want to, pretend that Bitcoin is digital gold because that's the whole supposed justification for buying Bitcoin, that it's gold, only it's better because it's digital. No, it's not gold at all. It's worse because the fact that it's digital means it's not real. It's not actual gold. It can't be used for any of the things that gold is used for. But that is part of the marketing. It's to pretend that when you're buying Bitcoin, you're buying digital gold. You're not. You're buying fool's gold. You're buying nothing. You're buying air. You know, speaking about air, I had this YouTube video that I put out where I took a skit from Sesame Street. And I always got a kick out of this video. And I I thought more people should have seen it. And it was, I took uh, Ernie is uh, being conned into buying some air by Lefty. 
And so basically, I, I recorded that scene and I dubbed in Bitcoin for air. So every time uh, Lefty tries to sell Ernie some air in a bottle, I replace the word air with Bitcoin. I thought it was very funny. And maybe you'll have a chance to see it again, but you can't see it now because apparently somebody over at Sesame Street is a Bitcoin hodler and they saw this video finally. And so they filed a copyright infringement. And so YouTube took my video down. And so we filed a um, appeal saying that it's fair use and it's not really copyright violation. And we listed all the reasons that it doesn't violate uh, the YouTube copyright rules. And of course, if you go on YouTube, you'll see all sorts of uh, instances where entire episodes of Sesame Street have been copied, yet there's no copyright infringement file there. I only took a few minutes and then edited it, changed it, did a lot of adjusting to it. Uh, so mine is clearly not a violation. I think the, the uh, violation was filed out of spite. I think it was one of these Bitcoin guys and they didn't like the fact that I uh, you know, uh, didn't want to wear the ribbon, right? I wasn't, I wasn't pro-Bitcoin, so they wanted to take down my video. So hopefully the, uh, the challenge works and the video is back up. And then if you haven't seen it, you can go ahead and watch it. But the reason that Bitcoin is going up and not gold is because investors are not looking for safe havens. They're not worried. They're euphoric. This is irrational exuberance. Everybody is buying risk assets. I mean, look all around the world. Everything is going up except gold right now. Right? People are buying all sorts of stocks. Uh, most of my stocks are going up now. I mean, a lot of them are going way up. We're having some huge gains except the gold stocks. So it's risk on, right? People are not cognizant of how risky the situation is. They don't realize all the inflation that's coming. They don't realize the box that central banks are in. They're, they're just buying risk assets. And that's what's happening to Bitcoin. Bitcoin, I think, is the riskiest asset of them all. Right? It's pure faith. It's, it's just a massive bubble. It's the epitome of irrational exuberance. And, and, and this is probably the biggest bubble, not in size and market cap, but I think the biggest bubble in the fact that people are buying absolutely nothing. At least with other assets, there's some value there and people are overpaying. With Bitcoin, there's no value. Anything that you pay is an overpayment. 100% of the price of Bitcoin is bubble. Right? There's, no, there, there, there's nothing there. And so this is really probably the bubble that's going to epitomize this entire era of, of bubble blowing. And it's very ironic, too, because the people who are buying Bitcoin think they're so smart. Every time I talk about the Bitcoin bubble, people respond by saying, hey, Bitcoin's not the bubble. Bitcoin's the pin, right? as if Bitcoin is going to prick all the other bubbles. Again, I said this over and over about people who are in bubbles. When you are trapped in a bubble, the last thing you can see is that bubble, right? Be sure inside it. And, and so you're completely oblivious to it. So there's no difference in that respect between the Bitcoin bubble and then the other bubble. What I just see with the, the Bitcoin people is of all the bubbles I've ever experienced, I think this one is where the people that are participating in it, who are oblivious to it, I've never seen people so certain that they're right. And not just right, but they're wildly right. They're not just going to make a bunch of money. They're going to get rich. Bitcoin is going to a million or more. And they're absolutely certain that there is no way that they can be wrong. And there's absolutely no way they can lose. So, I mean, this is probably the most reckless uh, 
example of hysteria because I think at least in prior bubbles, people had some type of, uh, all right, maybe I could lose. Maybe it's going to go down. I know I'm taking a risk. Uh, when it comes to Bitcoin, there's no question in the minds of all the hodlers uh, that they're going to get rich and that even if the market goes down, it doesn't matter because every dip is going to be bought uh, because this is a new era uh, and you know Bitcoin is going to the moon and anybody who doesn't get it is a fool, right? I'm a complete fool. I'm a moron. I'm an idiot because I don't see the value in Bitcoin. Well, the truth is, it's the people who think they see value in Bitcoin. They're the ones that are being foolish. And eventually, the supply of greater fools is going to run out. And it doesn't matter that the price is up. People want to throw it in my face. Oh, Peter, Bitcoin is almost at 18000 When are you going to admit that you're wrong? When are you going to buy it? It doesn't matter how big a bubble gets. I'm not going to uh, change my mind and say, oh, it's not a bubble because it got bigger. And if I didn't want to buy it at 10,000, I sure as hell don't want to buy it at 18,000. Right? Nothing has changed except it's gotten more expensive. The fundamentals don't change because the price goes up. Then, And if I wasn't going to buy it at 10,000, I'm sure as hell not going to buy it at, at, at 18,000. The more important question that people should be asking is when are the people who are in Bitcoin going to sell? Right? Maybe it's going to go above 20,000 and maybe it doesn't. But what if it drops? What if it goes back down to 10,000? What are you going to do if you're a Bitcoin holder? Are you going to hold on or are you going to get out? And then what if it drops to 5,000? Then what are you going to do? And then what if it drops to 2,000? Ask yourself, instead of trying to figure out when is Peter Schiff going to buy, try to come up with your own uh, exit strategy. What needs to happen? before you sell your Bitcoin, right? All people want to care about is what has to happen for me to buy it? Well, you know what? Nothing. I don't see any circumstances, rational circumstances that would cause me to want to buy Bitcoin, right? A guy like Ray Dalio, I watched that video. It gets to the end. He says, there's no value in Bitcoin. Whole thing's a bubble. He believes in gold. He's a smart guy, right? If Dalio, a guy who is worried about the dollar, worried about uh, cash and fiat currencies and central banks. A smart guy like that managing a lot of money. He's looked at Bitcoin. He's had smart people study it and he has completely rejected it too, right? Now, the fact that a bunch of high school kids, they want to buy it, I'm supposed to follow their advice as opposed to people whose uh, opinions uh, I, I value, people who have made a lot of money in this industry. No, yeah, there are a couple of hedge fund guys that have gotten into it. But how do you know what their real intentions are? How do you know that these guys aren't just making a short-term trade? You know, don't assume that because a couple of guys in the hedge fund industry took positions, doesn't mean they're married to these positions. They just might be playing the fools. They might think they can get in and get out and make a buck. They're trading it. They're not, you know, uh, gonna, gonna own it, right? They're dating Bitcoin. They're sure as hell not marrying it. Don't make that assumption. You know, I looked at um, um, Skybridge. Somebody pointed out that they had recently uh, filed to be able to take a position in a digital currencies. And they thought, oh, this is great, right? Skybridge is going to start buying uh, Bitcoin. They didn't say that. They said they might take a long or a short position. How do you know they're not thinking about shorting? In fact, if you read their description of how risky uh, digital assets are and how they can collapse and go to zero. If you actually read what they said, 
when they were disclosing that they were going to ask for permission to trade in cryptocurrencies, it's far more likely that they want to short them than buy them. But we'll actually see what happens. But of course, everything is spun into good news. That's part of the hype. That's part of this big pump. The question is, when's the dump and who's going to be dumping? And what are you going to do if you're just a fool? Right? There's an old saying about people sitting at a poker game. Right, If you don't know who the patsy is, then it's you. Right. Well, if you're sitting at this big poker game of, uh, of, of, of Bitcoin and you're not one of the whales, right, you better figure out if you're the patsy in this game and not to get caught. Because right? that's the whole goal here. They want to get the little people in and then keep them in so they can get out. That is the hidden agenda of a lot of the big whales that are involved in this space. They're, they're just using uh, all these minnows out there. Right? Th- that, that They're going to eat you guys. And I'm out there trying to educate you. And you've got an opportunity. Look, somebody's obviously buying. It's not like you can't sell you know, uh, you know, at 17500 or wherever it is you know, now. You can get out there. Somebody buying. The problem is people are afraid to sell. Everyone's afraid to miss out, right? Oh, I can't sell. It's going to go up. You know what? Sell. Nothing goes up in a straight line. Even if you want to buy your Bitcoin back, you'll be able to buy it back. You'll be able to buy it back a lot cheaper. Personally, I would sell and forget about it. I would sell it and not buy it back. But, you know, if if you want to be a Bitcoin trader, you could trade it. There's a lot of volatility there. Again, you could date Bitcoin. Just don't marry it. We did get some economic numbers out today that were basically bad from the perspective of what Wall Street was thinking about. But again, they don't care, right? Bad news, good news. As long as the Fed money parade marches on, the data doesn't matter. And today's data was on October retail sales. And this follows the big number we had for September retail sales. And those numbers were all revised lower, but they're still pretty big. Initially, we had a 1.9% increase in September. That was revised down to one6 X vehicles, the 1.5% gain was revised to up 1.2. Same thing with X vehicles and gas went from up 1.5 to up 1.2. And the control group went from up 1.5 to up 1. So some significant downward reductions across the board, but still pretty big numbers. But here was the other disappointment was the October numbers all came in light. They were expecting a gain of 0.4 in retail sales. We got 0.3. X vehicles, they were looking for a gain of 0.5. Gain was just 0.2. X vehicles and gas, they were looking for a gain of 0.6. Again, the gain was just 0.2. And the control group, they were looking for a gain of 0.4. Again, just a gain of 0.2. So basically half, or in some cases, a third of what the market was expecting. Not much of a reaction, though, in the market. But again, pretty bad retail sales numbers, even with supposedly uh, you know, people going back uh, into the economy. Although I think we now have this COVID relapse. I mean, that just happened here in, uh, in Puerto Rico. On Monday, it went back into effect. You know, the, the beaches had been closed for a while. Initially, they closed the beaches here Uh, You couldn't go on at all. You couldn't even exercise or go in the ocean. And then they opened the beach up for, you know, for 
uh, recreation in that for exercise and swimming. But you couldn't lie on the beach, right? You couldn't put a chaise lounge and a towel on the beach or, you know, take a, you know, a cooler with some beers or some food. You couldn't do that. You couldn't lie out and sunbathe. But you can, you know, you can swim laps in the ocean or you can, you know, you could jog, stuff like that. Well, then they went back to fully opening up the beaches. Well, on Monday, they changed that and they went back to no uh, lounging on the beach. So the hotel here where I live, they had to take all the chairs, all the umbrellas off the beach. So the beach is, you know, very barren. It looks nice. It's very natural because there's no, no signs of humanity now left on the beach. But they are allowed to have people uh, sitting by the pool. So think about how irrational this policy is. All the chairs are now around the pool, which is a much smaller area. When you have the beach, people really spread out because a lot of people are on the beaches instead of you know crowding around the pool. And the beach is very big and the chairs are very far apart. Well, now you can't sit on the beach anymore. You have to sit around the pool. So as a result of this new rule, people are now going to be more congested. You're going to have more people sitting in a smaller space as opposed to having them dispersed over a wider space because the hotels still have the same number of occupants. But now the people who want to go outside no longer have the choice of sitting by the pool or sitting by the beach. Everybody has to sit by the pool. So think about that, right? It's actually going to accomplish the opposite, which again, this is exactly what government does. Right? Whatever government does something, the effect is the opposite of what they intended. See, they're trying to reduce the spread of COVID, but in reality, this may increase the likelihood that it spreads because now people who would have been widely dispersed on the beaches are now crowded into the pool area. Now, yes, they're limiting the capacity, uh, but if they allowed the beaches to be opened, then it would, you know, people would be even more spread out. So again, the irrationality of these government uh, policies in response to COVID. But as we start to do this, right, we start to hunker down again. As I said before, all of these vaccines, to the extent that any of them become available, it's going to be too late for this flu season, right? This winter, we're going to go without a vaccine. And who knows if the second wave is going to be even bigger than the first wave. But again, the markets couldn't care less because the markets are going to get their stimulus. In fact, there was a press conference uh, yesterday that I watched President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris uh, gave this joint press conference. And one of the topics, of course, that came up was stimulus. And what President-elect Biden wants is for the Congress to pass this HEROES Act. And the HEROES Act already passed the House some time ago, uh, but it never made it through the Senate for good reason. It's a horrible bill. It's just massive deficit spending and money printing. But Biden says that he wants this bill passed and he's challenging Republicans to have the courage to vote for it, which really is ironic because you need courage to vote against this. It's the cowards who are voting in favor of the CARES Act, right? And in fact, voting for the CARES Act shows how little you actually care about the country. All you care about is getting reelected. What you care about is, is, is doing what people want, which is free money, as opposed to explaining what people need. What takes courage in Washington is to do the right thing. And doing the right thing is to vote against the CARES Act. See, not a single Democrat had the courage to do the right thing. They all chickened out 
and took the easy way out, the coward's way out, and decided to promise a bunch of free stuff, right? So it's, it, the Republicans don't need courage to vote in favor of giving people free money. They need courage to vote against it. And at least we have some modicum of courage on the Republican side. But unfortunately, I think a lot of these Republicans are going to cave in the Biden administration. In fact, a good example of that happened today with Judy Shelton's nomination to be on the FOMC. A lot of people thought that the approval was finally going to come in. But at the end of the day, uh, Shelton didn't have the votes and her nomination is going up in flames. I doubt they're going to be able to resurrect it. So Judy Shelton is not going to be on the FOMC. And there were three Republicans that joined with all the Democrats to vote against her. And I think there were a couple of Republicans, though, that were not even there to vote because of COVID. They were self-quarantined, and so they missed uh, the vote. But you had Susan Collins of Maine, you had Mitt Romney of Utah, and Lamar Alexander of Tennessee all voting not to confirm Judy Shelton. And it's unfortunate. I think she would have been uh, a good addition to the FOMC. I mean, they could really use somebody like Judy Shelton. Now, I know I had some harsh words for Shelton in the past, and, you know, I still do. Number one is she basically repudiated everything she ever believed in, you know, during the nomination hearings. Now, maybe she thought the only way to get on the FOMC was to lie, that if she told the truth, that she would never get on. So she lied and she's still not on, which is why I believe you go down swinging. You tell the truth. You use that hearing as a means of telling the truth. And you know, it's possible if she had told the truth, maybe she would have been confirmed. I don't know. Maybe she would have. I mean, she wasn't confirmed lying. So we'll never know if she would have been confirmed if she told the truth. Now, she probably wouldn't have. But you know what? If you're not going to get confirmed anyway, then hold on to your dignity and tell the truth. Because now, right, she's not going to be on the FOMC, but now she's now she's got these lies out there. Now what is she going to do? Now she's going to go argue in favor of the gold standard again after she just told the Senate and the nation that she's not in favor of the gold standard? Why not say, yes, the gold standard, we should be back on the gold standard. Stick to your principles. Right? She didn't do that. She rejected her principles. Ironically, she also rejected her principles when it came to Donald Trump, who, of course, nominated her to be on the FOMC because Judy Shelton was a critic of quantitative easing and the artificially low interest rates when Obama was president. But when Trump was president, all of a sudden she became an advocate of the very policy she once criticized. And that's what opened up the door for Lamar Alexander right, to say that she's political and she doesn't believe in the independence of the Fed. Ironically, because I know she does believe in Fed independence, even though there is no Fed independence at all. In fact, she wants so much independence, she'd like to be back on the gold standard. She wants to take the power away from the Fed as well as, you know, as Washington. But in order to get nominated, right, she buttered up uh, Donald Trump by saying we need cheap money, we need more money printing and lower interest rates. And now that made her look political because she had opposed those policies rightly when Obama was president. So it was like, hey, we, you know, the wind just blows. You, you, you're making policy decisions based on the political party of the president. And, and that was a valid criticism 
uh, that Alexander had. Of course, you know, all these guys on the Fed, they're all political. They don't care whether it's Republican or Democrats who are in control. Every decision they make is to favor the incumbents of whatever party happens to be there. They're always going to uh, try to blow the bubbles bigger, kick the can down the road, monetize all the debts. At least Judy Shelton, to the extent that she, you know, regained her conviction once she was on the FOMC. I mean, maybe she thought, look, I got to lie my way to get in. But once I'm there, then I can speak my mind and tell the truth. Although if you're going to lie to get on, then maybe you're going to keep on lying. After all, look what happened with um, Alan Greenspan. I mean, people didn't want to nominate Judy Shelton because at one time she was in favor of the gold standard. Well, so was Alan Greenspan. In fact, Alan Greenspan remained in favor of the gold standard the whole time he was on the FOMC. He just thought that he could do as good a job mimicking the gold standard. Alan Greenspan said that he used gold as his benchmark. I remember when he talked about $400 gold. He said, I watched the price of gold. And if it's below $400 by too much, then I know I'm too tight. If it gets above $400, then I know I'm too loose. So he was trying to you know, create a gold standard without being on one. But so he's always believed in the gold standard. In fact, um, Ron Paul always talks about the time that he ran into uh, Alan Greenspan in the hallway and asked him about the article he wrote, Gold and Economic Freedom, while he was Fed chairman. And he said, you know, would you, would you like to change that article now that you're chairman of the Fed? And he told Ron Paul, I, I wouldn't change a word. I stand by everything I wrote. So we had a very successful, at least in the eyes of Wall Street, Fed chairman, even though he presided over the the, the inflation of the housing bubble and the dot-com bubble. Uh, but a lot of people respected um, Alan Greenspan. And Alan Greenspan was the chairman. And he's the longest serving chairman in the history of the FOMC. And he was a staunch advocate of the gold standard uh, before he was on the FOMC and, and during his chairmanship. Yet we can't have Judy Shelton on because she believed in one time in the gold standard. Now, I believe that she still believes in the gold standard. She just didn't have the guts to advocate in favor of it in front of those senators because she thought it would sink her nomination. Well, maybe it would have, but it was sunk anyway. You know, so again, that's like, you know, the same thing I've said, my criticism of Donald Trump. If he actually had some grandiose plans for his second administration, he should have implemented them in his first administration while he had the chance. In fact, he should have done everything he could during those first two years when the Republicans had both houses of Congress. But now we'll never know because he didn't try. Oh,